Good morning, friends. This morning's teaching text is from Psalm 42. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before him? My tears have been my food, day and night, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and shouts of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mazar, deep calls to deep, at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breaks and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Um, Well, uh, I already said my name's Sean, a few of you who who walked in um, a little bit ago, but... um, uh, if you don't know, uh, we go through uh, books in the Bible at Redemption Church, which is one church of 10 different congregations, and um, we're going through the book of Psalms right now, uh, and as we go through this Psalter is what it's called, um, we've picked 10 Psalms to go through. Um, this Sunday actually uh, was the Sunday where my friend, the Anabaptist, was going to come preach, um, but some conversations had, had arose, and I want to say something very quickly on that note. Um, so uh, he does not believe like we believe in some of the things that we believe in uh, when it comes to um, what is called Reformed theology. And if you don't know what that is, that's okay. Um, just understand we, we believe differently uh, with some of that. But um, the reason I wanted to bring him in, and we're good, I actually still want to bring him in when we go through the Sermon on the Mount in the fall, um, is because on both sides, from our church and from his church, some people really started to ask some questions why he would come in. And I just want to say really quickly, and I'll say this on the Sunday, if and when he does come, um, our conviction as elders for church unity is greater than our conviction um, as elders for uh, Calvinism. Okay? So I want to say that just so we understand uh, that. And, and um, our, our conviction um, being that we, we believe that the kingdom of God unites um, the body of Christ, that it is the body of Christ as a whole, and that we as a church can learn from different traditions. That conviction is deeply, so deeply within us that we feel like crossing some of those boundaries are okay because we recognize that some of these traditions that are not like us have way more knowledge in certain areas than we do. And, and maybe you have a little bit of rub against that, but just understand that we care deeply for church unity. Um, and we're never going to cross into bounds of... Uh, uh, you know, like heretics, and we're not going to join up with Benny Hinn or anything like that. But the reality is we feel like in areas that we can be together, we do want to be together. Um, and that was one of the areas. Uh, so for whatever that's worth, he's not here. So I will be doing six of the 10 Psalms. 
Um, and then uh, I will actually be teaching next week, and then we'll have a three-week, I'll be, I won't be teaching for three weeks, and you guys will hear from a guy named Josh Prather, who is over all of Redemption CGI stuff. He'll explain that more, and then two of your elders as well, and then I will finish Psalms one last time. So if you already haven't opened your Bible, you can open up to Psalm 42. That's the Psalm we're going to be going through, um, and it is a Psalm of lament, and we've already talked about lament, and threw up the definition on the screen a little bit. Um, so we're going to address as much of that as we can. Um, let me just start, first of all, before we even get to the text, when you open Open it up to your Bible. I don't know if it says it on the apps or not, but you're going to see these headings where it says, why are you cast down, O my soul? And then it's going to say to the choir master, a masculine of the sons of Korah. Okay. I want to talk really quickly about who those are um, because it's going to help even understand how we should read uh, um, uh, this psalm. So the sons of Korah, really interesting story. Korah was a man um, who was alive while Moses was alive. And he was actually one of the guys who was at one point leading a rebellion against Moses. It's an interesting story if you read it because Moses says, hey, if you want to team up with those guys, that's fine. But let, let me make a little wager for you, only like Moses could. Um, right? he, he says, if God is on my side, then the earth will swallow them, will open up and swallow them. Um, if not, they'll die of natural causes. Moses is done talking. The earth opens up and swallows them. Okay. And so you're like, that's really tough for Korah and his squad. But, um, what's interesting is Korah's sons are not swallowed up by the earth. Literally do not fall in the earth. There's not an earthquake that opens up and, and eats them. Uh, but his sons watch this. Um, and I have no idea how things play out for the next couple generations, but what we eventually do know is, um, his sons continue to thrive so much so that a guy named Samuel, who's a big deal in the old Testament, he's a prophet in the old Testament. If you don't know who he is, he's actually the one who anoints David comes from his lineage, from Korah's lineage. And, uh, the sons of Korah, end up being priests. Now, what's interesting about that, and I think great about that, is the sons of Korah, um, in their moments of singing, can look back on their past more than anyone else almost and go, look how God has redeemed us. We, we were a people who are known for rebellion, and look how God has redeemed us. And now they are people who are priests. They are in charge um, of, of singing. They are in charge of worship for all of the people of Israel. So when we see this psalm, they wrote, uh, I, I wrote down, they wrote Psalms 42 through 50, uh, Psalm 62, and then 72 through 85. There were all these psalms, and it's, bit, it's important because when we see that it's written by Korah, it meant, it's meant that to, to say that these, this song specifically was sung as a community. It was sung in the church, if you will. Okay, so that's kind of cool. And then it also says this, the choir master, before it sends the sons of Korah, it's a, a, a maskil or a maskil or however you want to pronounce it. Um, here's the deal with this word. Nobody knows exactly what it means. Um, for the most part, it comes from a derivative of a Hebrew word, Hebrew verb to instruct. So what we can somewhat possibly gather from some of this is this song is a song of instruction, like uh, meant to emulate. There's no imperatives, meaning it doesn't tell you to do anything, but it's meant to be read to teach you something, not just to sing kind of haphazardly, but to kind of hear it and learn from that, how you can kind of mold and shape yourself. Uh, John Piper talks about when talking in all the Psalms, he's one of the guys I'm reading as we go through the Psalms and um, all the Psalms, but specifically while he was in Psalm 42, I think this is a great quote from him. He says this, the Psalms are instruction and the Psalms are songs. So they are instruction and they are songs. Um, he goes on to say this, and Jesus taught that they were inspired by God. Okay, so we have three parts. Their instruction, their songs, so we're singing instruction, but they're also inspired. So they're by God. They intend to shape what the mind thinks, and they intend to shape what the heart feels. When we uh, uh, immerse ourselves in them, we are thinking and feeling with God. So I say all of that. 
who it's written from, maybe what we can know about a Moscow, all of that, to understand that this psalm, Psalm 42, is a psalm of lament, but at the same time, it's meant to instruct us in how to lament. You understand? Does that make sense? Now, because of that, um, I said I'm going to stay close to my notes, and before this week, all the events that uh, took place this week, I plan to stay strictly to my notes because the reality is um, I personally have never struggled with depression or anxiety. That's just never been an issue, Um, and I'll tell a little bit of uh, the story of my wife and how she's gone through that, but I I haven't, and so um, I've tried to immerse myself in this psalm thinking through some of those lenses, and it's it's made me come up with five types of people um, that I want to specifically address that I think this psalm uh, talks to, okay? Um, five people specifically. I'm not saying that's going to, you know, that's everyone, but I, these are the five people that I thought of. I think the psalm, for those of you who deal with anxiety, is going to be immensely helpful. When I say anxiety, I mean high stakes, low control, um, meaning uh, there's moments where you feel like things are, everything is huge. You're going to die. You can't breathe, but you have very little control. This is something where um, last year my wife started to go through in spades. And what I was amazed at at, at our community really rallying around her um, and, and sharing how they too are going through anxiety. And where I thought Candace was kind of this island, we don't know what's going on. She's seeing doctor after doctor after doctor after doctor. Um, there's this thing that, that I really realized that this is a big thing in the church. So there's a lot of people, I want to say a lot of people, close to two or three dozen people who came to my wife and said, yes, I know what that feels like. I know what that's, what you're going through. So those of you who go through anxiety, I think this psalm's going to be extremely helpful. Uh, this could be on the other side, but a lot of it is the same thing. Those who deal with depression, I wrote down as if I was to define depression, it's a persistent feeling of sadness, either caused um, or not caused by something. So the best way when I talk with people who are in bouts of depression, the word that is used almost every time is the word cloud. It feels like a cloud is over them that they cannot escape, and it just continues to put pressure on them. It continues to be weighty on them. Um, there's sadness, but it's more than sadness. It's lack of hope. It feels like you're, there's nothing, like you just, you're an empty shell. So I feel like in some ways the psalm can help you. Um, those of you who have gone through or will go through loss, um, that doesn't just mean in death, though that does include that. Maybe you've lost a family member. Um, maybe it, it means uh, a friend. You've lost a friend who's died or a friend has gone away. Maybe you lost a job or whatever it is. I think it's going to help those who deal with loss. It's going to help those who deal with failure. Um, maybe your kids did not grow up how you thought they should have grown up and you feel like you're failing in that area. Maybe you're failing in school. Maybe you feel like you're a failure because you don't have a spouse. You feel like you're not where you're supposed to be. You're in your midlife crisis. I feel like this psalm is going to be immensely helpful for those who are failing. And then the last part, and, and I think this last one deals with all that has gone on this week and what I've already uh, spent a couple minutes talking about, but just frustration with the pain of the world. I, I feel like this psalm is going to be huge in directions of just feeling like my job sucks. I feel like sometimes my family sucks. I feel like sometimes uh, my friends are terrible. I feel like my life is awful. I feel like uh, there's death and there's pain all around me. Everyone has a bad attitude. Um, I mean, if you look at Facebook, it's death or Pokemon, and it's like, dude, I can't deal with this anymore. So frustration and pain in the world. Um, so for whatever that's worth. Now, I, I do want to say something. Um, we are going to put on Facebook, or maybe Josh already has put on Facebook, um, a link to uh, Desiring God, which is ran by that guy that I've been reading, John Piper. And, and in that, he gives 11, this link, you can see it on our Facebook and our website, um, 11 different categories or 11, 11 different um, I don't know, pieces of material, sermons or messages or interviews or articles that help those specific types of five people that I just mentioned, okay? So I normally wouldn't do any of that, but I think it's important as we go into the psalm, we understand all of that. So 
Let's do it. We're going to do Psalm, read Psalm 42. I'm going to start in verse 1. And as we do this, understand I'm going to fly through the psalm. Usually what we do is we read it word for word and we're going to go through. I'm going to read it. But for the most part, we're going to fly through it. And very rarely do we do this. But because of the type of psalm that it is, and we're going to get this in Psalm 119 a lot, it's not something that reads in narrative. It's not something that we go, oh, yes, this, then B, then A, then B. It's not, it's not like that, okay? There's a rhythm, which I'll explain. But the reality is, as much as we want to exegete this, we're We're going to have to actually stop at the end and pull out themes. So it's going to be way more thematic. So I have five things at the end, which I know is not like us normally, but I I feel like that's almost what the text demands. And when it does do that, we we need to be obedient. So here's how it starts. Uh, Psalm 42, verse 1 says this, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? So let's just start. The, the very first verse, listen to the poetry of it. So the sons of Korah, I don't know who specifically, his heart is throbbing. And I think that the poetic nature of what's being said there is this idea of, I feel like I'm a deer that is so thirsty, that needs water so badly. Like I'm looking for this stream. I'm so desperately thirsty. This is how the Psalm starts. And the question is, when are you coming, God? I feel like I need you. I feel like I need you. Where are you? So this is how it starts. It's, it's, I think, really poetic. He goes on to say this. My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. So um, there's two things that's going on. The first thing is recognize, and, and maybe you've been there, uh, Maybe even this week you've been there where you feel like you're crying so much you can taste the saltiness of your tears, right? It's just over and over and over. It doesn't stop. All I've had, and he's, he's, he's living again using this poetic yet very vivid imagery for us to understand where he is. And I, I think this, um, my food is in, while, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? I think in a lot of ways, the culture he's living in, all these pagan cultures around him are saying, well, well if this is happening, then, then, then where's your God? If, if God was real, then where are you? I think in a lot of ways, our heart says that, right? Like, if you're real, God, where are you? Like, where are you? And maybe your friends and family are asking that as well, but there's a big part of our heart that goes there. And then the second thing that he's doing, there's almost a a recollection of the good old days, right? There's almost a recollection. I remember when things were like this. I remember when my mommy would sing me to sleep, but now we're stressed out, right? So there's a sense of, 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 of what's going on within him. Some of you get it, some of you don't, but, um, uh, but, but there's, there's a sense of, of what's going on within him that he's looking at the good days. There's nostalgia there. I remember when things are good, but right now things are terrible. And he immediately goes into um, what is verse 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of the Jordan and of Hermon, uh, from Mount Mizar. Now, I, here's where we can, for the first time, we can recognize the rhythm. So if you're looking at your Bibles, verses 1 through 4 are this lament. And what happens in verse 5 is he begins to fight for hope, okay? And then we're going to read verses, uh, so that's 5 and 6, actually, are fight for hope. Then verse 7 is a lament. Verse 8 is another fight for hope. 9 and 10 are a lament. And verse 11 is another fight for hope. So there's a rhythm. There's a wave to all of this that he's, he's continuing to lay out. And his first fight for hope is, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? In the midst of eating my tears day and night, in the midst of feeling like you're not there, I feel this, I sense this, but why? And he begins to speak to himself. Why are you in turmoil within me? I shall again 
praise him my salvation. So he recognizes, though I'm looking at the past that used to be like this, I feel this in the present, I know this to be true in the future. Now, he goes to three specific things. He goes to the land of Jordan, the land of the, uh, uh, the Hermonites, I'll explain that, and then the land of Mizar. So um, if you don't know, which you probably don't, he's looking back, again, remember how he's looking back at the, these good old days. He's looking back and he's remembering, though this is awful, I remember, God, I know you're real because I experienced you. I remember when we needed to cross the Jordan and you dried up the water so that we as people can cross through. I remember, and this is the, the second part, is probably the less, the most least unknown from the Herman, uh, Hermonites. It's in uh, Joshua 12. Let me just read it for you very quickly. When all this war is going on, how God came through. Now, these are the kings of the, he- of the land which the children of Israel killed and possessed their land on the other side of the Jordan towards the rising of the sun from the river Arnon until Mount Hermon. Mount Hermon is where the, 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 this is what he's talking about. So his point is, I remember when you did miraculous things. I remember when you dried up the river Jordan. I remember when you were with us in battle. I know you're real. I know you exist, though I feel this. And then he goes, I also remember when you gave the law. That term there, uh, Mizar, the, the Mount Mizar, or Hill Mizar, uh, is believed to be a part of Mount Sinai where the law was given, where Moses stands. And so his point is, I remember when you did these miraculous things. I know you're real. I just don't feel you. I just don't think you're there right now. I know it's true, but I don't feel like you're there. And that immediately sends him continuing to lament. Verse 7, deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. Here's the deal. From the, be- the very beginning of verse 7, deep calls to deep. Um, I still, and I've spent more time on all of our texts on this verse trying to figure out, I do not know what he's saying exactly. I can tell you in A.W. Tozer's The Pursuit of God, he talks about this idea of God's depths talking to our depths. And I, I think for a long time being in the charismatic world, that's, I would use that as kind of like a deep calls the deep man. You'll know, you'll know, right? But in the context, it feels like that's not necessarily the case. It, it, it feels like I'm swimming in an ocean and your waves are breaking over me and there's this like depth of, And this is where I feel like I don't fully even understand how to explain it. Still, even as I stand here, there's this depth of me that that is calling out to the depth of you, but I feel like yet still I'm drowning. Uh, Christianity Today, I remember reading this article, Christianity Today, and I looked back on it. I want to read a very um, brief part of it that I think helps explain some of this. It says this, in Psalm 42, the psalmist writes, deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. It's a bit of a cryptic line in the midst of a psalm that is about loss and longing uh, and a soul that is inexplicably downcast. And yet, to stay in God's presence is like swimming in the ocean. Immense, frightening, powerful, beautiful. Where deep calls to deep. Where answers don't come easy. Where pain is exposed rather than covered over. So I, I think in a lot of ways, we fe- he's feeling this, God, I'm drowning. I'm drowning. He's lamenting again. I'm drowning. I'm drowning. And immediately goes into, but I know there's a truth. Here's his reminder of who God is. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. I know his love's there. And at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I know it's true. Verse 8 continues that, and he goes back into lament, right? I say to God, my rock, why have you forsaken me? Why do I go in mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me, all the day long, where is your God? There's that language of where is your God? Uh, what I want you to notice in verses 9 or 10 is really there's only two things that I think are pertinent in feeling this lament and in, in feeling that depression, feeling that anxiety, feeling that loss, feeling that hurt, feeling that pain. There are two things that we can totally resonate. One, it feels like forever. It fe- Listen to what he says. Why have you forgotten me? 
all the day long. There's this language. It feels like forever. I've been in this forever. Why won't this go away? I was talking with Shirley Ellis, Jim Ellis's wife, and she had said she had migraines for 30 years. Um, Once a month, she would get them for two days straight, and she would not understand. She could not understand why God was allowing this to happen, like paralyzing uh, migraines, right? So why is this? It feels like, and it's not just doesn't feel like it's a long time, but it feels like it's at the depths of your bones. Feel like the imagery is awesome. It's a deadly wound in my bones, it's something deep within me. And I don't know what anxiety is like. I don't know what depression is like. Um, I, can, I can somewhat speak to loss um, and the problems of this world, but there is a sense, whatever you're going through, and, and all of feeling that, even what we talked about in Psalm 23 last week, there's a depth to my bones that I feel it. It's, it feels like forever, and it is super deep. Um, verse 11, to, to uh, cap it all off, it says this, again, fighting for hope. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. End of the psalm. Okay? Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Um, <laughs> I think the question that I asked was, does this end well? Like, was that a good ending? Or a, and it feels almost like life, like mixed almost. Like it's the guy who loses his job. And is hopeful that he'll get a new job, but he's still, like, jobless. Like, there's still a sense of, yes, I know what the future holds, but right now is awful. Right? So there's kind of this good, bad, what is it? Um, and so this is, that's our psalm. That's the, the entire psalm. Now, um, like I said, it doesn't read a narrative form. It doesn't read like that. And so though I'm not a big principle guy, um, I have another sheet. Here you go. Um, and this is where I will stay the best I can to my notes. Um, Five things that I think we can grab. Five things to help those of you who are dealing with anxiety, depression, loss, failure, or frustration with the world. There are five things that I think we can grab from this psalm that will be helpful. Um, so here, here they are. First, let's start with an observation rather than just a helping point, an observation. Um, it's going to feel like, and you know this, I don't need to tell you this, an ongoing battle forever. And, and more appropriately, it's going to come in waves. So when you feel that, don't feel, and the best I think you can do is tell yourself in that moment is, I know it's going to come. I know it's going to go away. I know it's going to come. And how we know this is we read the psalm in, the psalm in that way, don't we? Fear, anxiety, pain, failure. But I know God's real. But I know God's real. Fear, anxiety, pain, failure. But, but, but I know God's real. But I know God's real. Fear, pain, anxiety, depression, loss. But I know God's real. And it comes and it goes. And it comes and it goes. And those of you who deal with this, it is extremely difficult. Um, I don't know, but uh, I read a, a, a quote from C.S. Lewis last week from The Problem of Pain. Um, I want to read this one to you that I think is extremely helpful dealing with that mental battle. Um, when he says this, mental pain is less dramatic than physical pain, but is more common and it is also more hard to bear. You understand? So it's, it's less dramatic in that I can't see you going through this mental pain. Like there's no physical manifestation, but it is harder to bear. The frequent attempts to conceal mental pain increases the burden. So when you try to make it go away, it almost increases the burden. Um, it's easier to say my tooth is aching than to say my heart is broken. So the idea of this, whatever's going on within you, feeling this brokenness, um, just know that it's okay that it comes in waves. That's a part of what's going on. I'm not saying I have an answer. I don't want to can even begin to talk about medication. All I'm saying is recognizing that it comes in waves is a normal part of feeling that. Um, here's the second thing. 
asking questions is extremely good, okay? Extremely good in all of this. So, so here's, here's what I would say. Um, at seven different points in this psalm, he asks questions. So let me just be um, more clear in what I'm trying to say about this. In feeling this, asking why is okay. Do you understand? Like um, expressing frustration is, I would dare I say, good. Um, because here, here's the deal. Um, God knows how you feel, right? And so to express that, there's nothing more than I love when my kids, whether right or wrong, are honest with me. When they're transparent with me and they come to me and they say, here's how I feel. I'm sad. Like there's a part of me that as a parent, like my heart melts, but I, I'm so encouraged that they come to me like that. I'm so encouraged. I, I almost love those moments and relish those moments. And, and our Father is in heavens in the same way. And, and what I want you to know is your prayers will be unorthodox, and that's okay. Job 6 actually ta- uh, uses this. He says it's like words of the wind. Like in those moments when you've lost something or you feel pain, you, you're saying things, that words that God almost says, it's okay, I know. Say it. Say it, and I know it's not orthodox, and I know it, it doesn't, but say it. And he says it's like words of the wind. They float, they come, and they go. Um, and I saw this in spades when I was at this rally on Thursday, right? People are getting up saying crazy things. One of the women who'd said, we shoot back, text my, my friend who was uh, um, in the rally and apologized after all the stuff that had happened in Dallas and even said, like, I didn't mean that. Obviously, you know that I never would mean to say that, seeing this, right? There's this, I don't hold her. I don't want to go, see, you got what you wanted. I go, no, listen, you're going through frustration. You're going to say crazy things, and that's okay. That's okay. We have to have the freedom as Christians to do that well, to ask why, to ask where, to ask how long. It's okay. It's okay. The third thing is this. Um, it's okay to be in it before we try to find solutions. This is almost what we had talked about um, right after our first song. Um, so I want to read a passage uh, for you. If, if any of you know the book of Job, it's um, kind of character, characterized as this idea of um, a man who goes through pain, and it's almost like you've got the life of Job. But predominantly, the book of Job, the bookends are um, Job experiences the pain that he has, and then God speaks to Job, and it's honestly like 40 chapters of his friends just saying moronic things. Now, what's honestly crazy about that whole, the whole book is before we ever get to his friends speaking, we get this little passage um, in in, uh, Job 2, verses 11 through 13, that says this. I think we even have it on the screen. It says says this. Now, when Job's three friends heard, so this is three friends that say all the things that they did, um, heard of all this evil that had come upon him, they came each from his own place. It goes on to name where they came from. They made an appointment together to come to show him sympathy and comfort him. And when they saw him from a distance, they did not recognize him. They raised their voices and wept, and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads uh, towards heaven. So the first part is they, they made an appointment, let's go see Job. They come together, I'm making this appointment, they go see him, and they, they don't even recognize him. He's covered in boils, he hasn't eaten in days, he's all kinds of messed up. They see him, they begin to sympathize with him, and, and hear me. Then they do not go into speaking. Listen to what they do. From that moment, verse 13, and they sat with him. On the ground, seven days and seven nights, and no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his suffering was very great. So before anything is said in the book of Job, 40 chapters worth almost, they just sit with him. Seven days. Don't say anything. Don't say anything. Just be with him. Seven days. I think... 
nothing really depicts this better than the movie Inside Out, right? If you've ever seen it, here is uh, uh, the story of a little girl as she grows and all of her emotions are growing inside of her at the same time. And what does joy want to do? Joy wants to continue to suppress sadness. Joy wants to continue to tell sadness, no, you're not welcome. But sadness, in so many ways, without, I doubt Pixar understands uh, humanity in its fullest, at least the way that our biblical worldview would teach us, but we can agree in this moment that because of what's going on in the brokenness of the world, sadness does have its place. Sadness does have its place. And so we sit, we have a time of mourning. And so the first thing I want you to say is before you try to get to the solutions, it's okay that you feel that way. And I'm not saying it's easy. I'm just saying it's okay. That anxiety, that depression, you're in it. Just be in it. Let your friends be in it with you. Let's not look for solutions. Let's look for solutions as we find our way out of it, but let's be in it for a while. Number four, we're almost done. My time is almost done. Um, This is a big one. So the next two, I think, are, are answers. So if you deal with anxiety, depression, fear, loss, whatever it is, the hurt of the world, these next two are going to be things that you should try. I am not, again, I'm not going to tell you this if you're in the midst of it right now, okay? But I'm saying, knowing that that wave is coming, okay, um, these two things might be extremely helpful. You need to learn to talk to yourself and, and quit allowing yourself to talk to you. If that doesn't sound crazy, I don't know what does, Okay. Um, what I mean by that is, is I use the language and I hope you picked up on it. If you notice the lament, fight for hope, lament, fight for hope, lament, fight for hope. There is a sense where he is beginning to talk to himself. Listen to to what he says. So, uh, he remember in verse four, he remembers, uh, this idea of corporate past experiences. So even though he's going through it, even though his enemies are pressing around him, he's going, I remember these things in verse four in verse eight. He remembers God's sovereign love. When it says this by day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. And at night, his song is with me verses five and 11. He calls to God. He calls God my salvation and my God. There's a sense when we wake up every single morning that Whatever it is, you don't have to think about it, but voices are in your head. Maybe good, maybe bad, but immediately you're talking to yourself. Whether you're thinking about what you need to do that day, uh, immediately grabbing your phone and jumping on Facebook, you're thinking, right? And there's voices in your head. And all I'm saying is begin to train yourself to be the one that controls those voices. That sounds super schizophrenic, but my point is like to begin to talk to yourself. So you know, even though you don't feel it, even though you don't feel it, I know what is real. I know what is true. I know what is right. I know, I know, I know. And begin to talk to yourself and hear me, not just in those moments. I think in those moments, it's immensely important. I think being with Candace last year and, um, and, and as that journey's continued to progress, um, just continuing to remind her, you're not gonna die. You're not gonna die. And even if you did, you win. We don't have to worry. We don't have to be stressed out. It's okay, it's okay, it's okay. Continue to talk to her. Continue to talk to yourself. So um, that's the first thing that I want to encourage you. Talk to yourself. And then the last one, and then I got something to say before that, and then we are out of here. Verse five is, um, don't feel like you need to get out of it before you move on with your life. Okay? Um, And I know that's not helpful. It's easy for me to say with someone who doesn't deal with depression or anxiety, just continue going. When you're depressed, you don't feel like continuing to go. And if you have anxiety, you feel like if you go anywhere, you're going to die. So the idea of continuing to press on, but here's what's really beautiful about this psalm is it starts, this is really awesome, it starts with a longing for God, not a resolution to his circumstances. 
you hear the difference? He longs for God as a deer pants for water. I long for you in that way. I'm hoping to get to God, not necessarily just to get out of my circumstances, but God, I'm hoping in you. I want to see you. When will you return? And so I think it's important in those moments, instead of trying to find ways just to get out of that circumstance to go, I have to continue on. And some of you have to, right? Some of you have nine to fives or you have no choice. You go through a bout of depression or a bout of anxiety and you have to go in. You have to. Like, and so because of that, you're stepping in those circumstances and to know in the end, this may never be resolved. That sounds terrible, but in the end, it may never be resolved on this side of eternity. It will definitely be resolved on the next uh, side, the, the other side of eternity. But the reality is we have to continue to talk to ourselves in doing that and, and go, I don't need to have this fixed to continue to pursue God. That's going to come and it's going to go. It's going to come and it's going to go, but I don't need this fixed to continue to pursue God. And hear me, that's easy for me to say. I know. I know that's easy for me to say. At the same time, this is hard. In those moments, you've got to tell yourself what you know to be true and not just what you feel. And I, that's a battle for me to say because I'm not feeling it. So it's easy, right? It's like telling my wife in childbirth, you're going to be fine, okay? But I'm not feeling that. I'm not experiencing that. And the reality is when you're feeling this, it's not easy, but that doesn't negate truth at the same time. So give me grace in saying that as much as you're feeling it and it's awful, don't let that be your identity in such a way that you negate what, what is true, that you still continue to press towards, I'm pursuing God for all that, that, that he is worth. Um, and so here's how I want to finish. And I, I hope if nothing else, this is a, a comfort uh, to you. And it is the fact that um, while you're going through this, though you understand, like we talked last week, that God is with you, though that's true, you know that to be true, um, you can be honest with, so the five things I said is you can feel, you can question, you, you can try to be okay without trying to find the solution. Um, you continue to speak to yourself, and then uh, in the end, uh, you continue to seek after God. You move on with your life without just trying to um, uh, fix that first. In all of that, I've done my best to read Psalm 42, and I think it would still be theologically accurate to say that Jesus could read this. Like Jesus could actually read Psalm 42 while on the earth, and feel everything that Psalm 42 is feeling. I, I think I would feel in the, the confines of orthodoxy to say that there's moments where he feels, he doesn't say it outright, so I'm trying to be careful here. I'm not saying this is canon, but I'm saying there's a moment, even the Garden of Gethsemane, where he is so stressed, so pressed, that he literally begins to sweat blood. Like that's how much anxiety and pressure he's feeling in that moment. That's how much weight he's experiencing. So it's not that God is just with you. He knows what it's like. He knows what it's like to weep when his, his buddy Lazarus dies, to have his friends leave him. And then the guy that he trusted the most look him clear in the face as he says, I don't know who that Jesus dude is. And Jesus is like, like he knows. So if nothing else, understand as you're curled up in a ball because the anxiety is so overwhelming, Jesus is not just with you. He knows what it's like. That is so comforting. No other religion has that type of God. No other religion. So um, here's how we're going to finish. We have, um, uh, we have done a call of response, and we can have the band come up uh, uh, right now if you want. We've done a call and response every time. 
in, in all of this. And here's, uh, I'm going to tell you kind of what, what we're doing for this call and response as, as we do it. And then um, I'll pray after we do the, the call and response together. But here's, here's uh, uh, the word that I want to throw up. We're going to read this. Um, you might have seen this word. It might be a goofy word to you if you didn't grow up in church, but it's the word. I'm going to pronounce it Maranatha. Um, I've heard it pronounced differently, but together we're going to say Maranatha. Um, and, and here's this word. It is a, um, an Arabic word. Uh, this, it's an Aramaic. Um, it's this word that essentially, it's two parts put together for one word. Um, simply said, it means, come, O Lord Jesus, come, or the Lord is coming. And this word um, was not, though people commonly spoke Greek, the early church actually grabbed onto this word because of the depths of its meaning. So here's what happens. When Jesus dies, um, the church begins to get scattered, but more appropriately begins to be be persecuted. Overwhelming uh, uh, waves of persecution hit the church because they're in Rome. And if you're in Rome, you always pledge your allegiance to Caesar. So you say the Caesar is Lord. Here's the problem. Christians ain't saying that. Christians are not going to declare that Caesar's Lord. Caesar may be president. He may be boss. But the reality is he's not Lord. We have one Lord. And everyone else can live in harmony except these foolish Christians, except these guys who want to rebel. And so Rome does not like these guys. And they begin to blame Christians for everything. When there's fires, when there's floods, everything. And so the church is hated not just by the state, but hated by the people. They won't help build our our huge mosques. They won't help build these these orgy centers. They won't help build these things. No, we're not going to be a part of that. And so everyone hates Christians, and so everyone begins to kill them. They're mistreated, they're set aside, done with. And so what begins to happen is they're reminded of the fact that Jesus told them they're going to have trouble in this life. They're reminded of the fact that Jesus told them that just like him, they're no better than their master, they're going to go through the same waves of persecution. And so because they know that, they're also reminded of hope. They're also reminded of the fact that Jesus is going to come Jesus is going to return. I know he's going to come. And the best word to sum this up is Maranatha. Maranatha. It would be a prayer. Um, it actually very early on for about 200 years replaced, replaced the, the Hebrew idea of shalom. So whenever you go up and you'd say hi, um, very early on people would say shalom, which means peace. But that Christians wouldn't say that. We'd come up and say Maranatha. Maranatha. They wanted to remind themselves, no matter where we are, Jesus is coming. No matter what we're feeling, Jesus is coming. No matter what we've gone through, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. It's not just a declaration, but it's a prayer. Lord Jesus, come. Lord Jesus, come. Maranatha. 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 You may see it on, I don't know, uh, transcripts. You may see it on church buildings. Some churches are called this, but for now, this is going to be our prayer. So if you can stand to your feet, I'm going to read this psalm. We're just going to leave Maranatha up there. Uh, And we're going to break it down into three parts. So we're going to do the laments, fighting for hope, laments, fighting for hope, laments, fighting for hope. Um, If you haven't done this with us yet, we do this corporately to respond as a corporate response to this psalm. So um, I'll read it, and then then, um, I'll look to you guys to say Maranatha as a congregation. That's what it says. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude of keeping feasts. Why are you cast down? Oh, my soul, why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of, the jo- of Jordan and of Hermon and of the Mount of Mizar. Maranatha. 
Deep calls to deep at the roar of the waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord uh, commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is within me, a prayer to God, to the God of my life. Maranatha. I say to God, my rock, why have you forsaken me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down? Oh, my soul, why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Maranatha. Let's pray. Jesus, Maranatha. Maranatha, Maranatha, Maranatha. Cops are being shot. Maranatha, racism, Maranatha, starvation, Maranatha, abortion, Maranatha. 100,000 people dying of thirst today, Maranatha. Muslims being slaughtered in the Middle East, Maranatha. Our brothers and sisters overseas being persecuted and murdered, Maranatha. Anxiety, Maranatha. Depression, Maranatha. Loss, Maranatha, pain, Maranatha, the hurt of this world, Maranatha, failure, Maranatha, 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 come, Lord Jesus, come, please return, please, our prayer to you is to return. There are so many who are lost, but you know the number, you you know who's to be saved, you know how all this works. We just feel in our heart, like our brothers and sisters before us, Maranatha, we want you to come. There's no house. There's no car. There's no relationship that we hope for that that would happen, that we want to put your your, your coming on hold. No, Maranatha, take it all. We recognize the day we see you clearly, physically, the day we hug you, the day you hold us will be better than any of the trinkets of the world. Maranatha, it will be better than any plan we have to solve racism, better than any plan of revenge, better than any plan that we could come up with. Maranatha, you're returning, your your consummation, you making all things new again is better. It's better. It's better. And we spend this morning lamenting, hoping, and praying all at the same time. And because of that, Because of that reality, we cry, Maranatha, please, Jesus, come. Please return. Our children are safer in your arms. Our spouses are safer in your arms. We are safer in your arms. Our family and friends are safer in your arms. Our neighbors, our classmates, they're all safer in your arms. Come, Jesus, come. Please return. We know you're going to come. We believe that you're going to come. We know it's true. Please, please, please come. Thank you for that hope. Though we, we sit and laments, it's a prayer that we can pray that we know will come true. Other things, we hope to be your will and we hope to find out and we hope this to be removed or we hope this to take place. But the reality is this hope of you returning, we know our chips are in that corner, is going to happen. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. We love you, Jesus. We hope in you and you alone. In your name we pray, amen.